Well... Welcome back to Kiwi Innovators. I am recording this intro and preparing today's podcast on a very windy, blustery day here in Wellington. And for those that know New Zealand, Wellington is known for its windy and blusteriness. Today I have a really spectacular interview with Eugene Kappen. He is a social media futurist. He knows VR and AR, social media development, uh, virtual reality world development. He owns his own company and, and generates his own media. This is going to be a really spectacular conversation. So sit back and relax and enjoy it. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Kiwi Innovators Podcast. I am thrilled to have Eugene Kappen here with me today. He is a social media futurist, a public speaker. He is the CEO of his own company. This is a man who has insights into the direction of how virtual reality, augmented reality, extended reality, you know, the metaverse, where, where we're going, both on the social media and entertainment side. But I think he'll have some insights into how businesses are going to play in this as well. And I'm really pleased to have him here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. Oh, most welcome, Eugene. So why don't you give me a little bit of background about where, you know, how you got into this futurist. I, I've had a conversation with about six different futurists in the last two years. And prior to two years ago, I'd, I don't think I'd ever talked to a futurist, even though I'd been to several technology conferences. So what drove you down this path and how did you get here? Believe it or not, I was cast in a movie called Just Never Reloads. Oh. as a vfx artist oh very nice and yeah and they enjoyed the work i did and they asked me if i wanted a part in the movie i said yes what part <laughs> yeah they told me warehouse thug number two <laughs> and i killed my role yeah and when the film actually went to like different film festivals i got to sit on the panel because i'd worked on this film oh very in nice different capacities and the interaction between working with a group of people, creating something bigger than ourselves, and talking to an audience about what we had made was the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, how do I keep this going? Yeah. And somebody went, you know, YouTube's a thing. Yeah. And at the time, there were no YouTube influencers. There were nobody with a million subscribers. Yeah. But I knew a couple of people who were doing it at a very professional level. And one of those guys was married to a makeup and beauty guru yep. named It's Judy Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Benji um, and I were in Boy Scouts together as kids. And I went, hey, man you got to tell me about this YouTube thing. Yeah. And he went, absolutely. So I went over to his house. He sat me down. We looked at some videos I'd created. So there was me interviewing like the Stax brothers and doing an interview with the adult star, Ron Jeremy. Yep. And some like very funny sketches that I had done. And when it was all said and done, I went, you know what? I feel like I need a proper education in this. Yeah. Like I had dual associate degrees in visual communication. So one in fine arts, one in technical design. 
I could do animation, I could put together websites, but I didn't really know how the future of this social media platform was actually going to play out. Right. And I needed time to invest in myself to properly have a full understanding of exactly what's required to be able to do this at a high level or to do it full time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I went back to Evergreen State. So I went to Evergreen State and I got my bachelor's degree in liberal arts with a focus or an emphasis in YouTube studies. Oh, wow. That must yeah. have been early uh, on. It, it was, yeah, I got out in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So upon doing this, I was doing VFX for a YouTube channel called Comic Shop TV. I was the senior editor there for about four years. Yep. And a friend of mine, or this this guy named Topher Welsh, saw what I was doing, invited me to hang out with him at one of the comic book conventions I was going to. Right. Because I was going and filming cosplayers then adding VFX to their costumes. Yeah. And we got to talking and he was like, hey, I run after effects seattle which is the biggest motion design user group in the united states yeah, yeah and i was like that is amazing yeah and so i started going to these meetings and there was a gentleman by the name of lou ward who had one of the first vr demos i had ever seen and it was disney's iron giant it was yeah the 360 video experience he had put together in a week and a lot of the big headsets hadn't been out for very long right and i i saw this experience and i took it off i went this is the future yeah like like i've been preparing for social media to basically evolve itself into something more interactive and more tangible and not just another video game yeah yeah that's and so, uh, you, you're right so what i played with the vr systems that really high-end ones back in the early 90s late 80s early 90s but they were really clunky and very but but i could see even then that the the future direction and and you're right social media uh, there are people on facebook that would disagree with this but i i really believe that the current social media is just a digital version of a newspaper now it's it's more interactive right but it it's almost like it's a focused news or newspaper for you that allows you to interact with and it's all 2d and you can't really reach into it, and you can drop videos and audio into it, but you can't really... You, to, to have a true interactive experience, you have to go to a different platform. And even Facebook has separated Facebook Messenger from Facebook. It's now two different products. So... Have, have you tried any, like, virtual reality social networks? Yes, I have. I, I've, been, I've been commenting on virtual reality and augmented reality for about the last two years on LinkedIn and several people have reached out to me. I'm an early adopter on a handful of different products and I'll, I'll link them in the meeting notes for the, the podcast. But yeah, there was that team conference room one where they would create a planet and everybody in your team would appear on the planet and you could, you, it would support both virtual reality and flat screen reality. So a, like a video screen and you, you could have meetings and team meetings in your own little planet and you could set the planet up the way you wanted it to. And you could have whiteboards there and things like that too. So yeah, I've, I've played around in several of them. I don't think they're quite there. They're close, but they're not quite I, there. I th you're absolutely right. I do think 
they're on the correct path. Yeah. You just had to have to build that foundation and then have so much adoption that we can get the proper feedback so we can yeah. create. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so right, right now, like everybody's scrambling to have like the killer app or whatever. Yeah. But it, but it's really just R and D right now. Yeah. That's all this is. Yeah. And what this current, this current level of, of virtual reality, as far as social media goes, is currently just R and D. Yeah. That's all it is. Well, and, and you and I were talking about talking before we started the podcast about how important UX is and UX design. I think there, a lot of these VRs have a, a massive UX team, but I feel like that a lot of the UX designers are still in that 2d flat world UX design perspective and and very few of them visual are visual artists visual artists i'm using air quotes and can get that three-dimensional value out i mean it's not look this isn't the 80s we're not at a a 3d movie where stuff comes popping out at us at the movie it needs to be a three-dimensional world that we live and interact in do you do you remember what ux designers were called back when we were probably in college you know, so, uh, and I went to college in 94, 95. That'll really frighten you a little bit. But back then they were, you, you, they were either programmers or they were web, web designers, uh, web developers were the UX. Yeah, they were, they were web designers for me too. Yeah. And then when I, I started my company, we took residence at the Comotion Labs at the University of Washington. Yeah. And they had launched their UX program. Yep. And that was really my first introduction to like this kind of this this updated version of, of web design. Yeah. Where it's it's very much like let's let's stop focusing on, on how it functions and let's try to associate with how the clients are actually using yeah. said software. Let, let's not see how many moving GIF icons we can put on a web page and actually start to learn about how the people are using our platform. <laughs> no, don't take my GIFs. <laughs> Dancing Jesus and the, the little baby and yeah, just oh, just terrible. So, I, I mean, my cat memes. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, cat memes. Uh, I had a security, uh, Sizo was giving a presentation to a, one of the ministries down here. And he said, if you're going to hide bad code, hide it inside of a cat picture because everybody clicks on cat pictures. And I went, why are you telling people that? <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> They'll do that. Don't. So, I mean, so, so talk to me about what you're seeing as, so you say that social media right now within the virtual reality space, they're doing a lot of R&D work. Obviously, the hardware R&D work is coming. There's a new VR headset coming out. It's supposed to be out this fall in the States. I think it's going to get pushed to next year that it's a mirror-based VR that may fix the motion sickness problem. We have the new Oculus Quest coming out. HP has a new one coming out. So there, So the hardware is progressing, but... The software, the virtual reality environments, you have your hand on the pulse of that. And what do you see as that R&D work and, and how do you see that progressing? I see that there's a lot of infrastructure that actually has to still happen. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a little early to be removing headsets and making them go wireless. Yeah. Especially when, if, if, you, if you want a really realistic experience, you know, six to eight gigs of ram isn't going to cut it yeah so right now you still need the supercomputer to get the absolute most realistic experience you can you're gonna have to use 
high-res textures. You're going to have to have complete downloadable visual packages yeah. put into your into your software. I really think there are some hurdles that we currently still have to go through. Yeah. And that's why things like Google Stadia are kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Just because it's all server-based. Yeah. And whatever you're getting is the end result so you can have the most labor intensive high-res video game in the world running on your smartphone yeah and so if we can use that technology and just figure out a way how to get it down so the latency is virtually non-existent yeah then we're going to be in a place where it's going to have a lot more usability than what it currently has one of the biggest complaints of vr is you know it made me sick and that's because of the disconnect between what you're visually seeing and what you have in your inner ear fluid or whatever's going on so you don't get vertigo so once we once we fix those problems and say we get like a 6g network which is uh what is it 32 terabytes yeah yeah. of information yeah the 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 RFC hasn't been approved yet for what 6G is going to look like, but yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be in the multi 10 terabit space. I mean, once we get there with a human eye resolution tracking headset, kind of like the Barjo does. Yeah. I, I think I think that's where it's going to be indistinguishable between the real world and VR. Yeah. Well, and so this is and this is one of these things that i've been thinking about for a while and and you hear people talk about extended reality versus virtual reality versus augmented reality i think that right now we live in a world where augmented reality is over here and virtual reality is over here and i think that they i think that augmented reality needs to be a extension of virtual reality so the virtual reality world exists and i can put on augmented reality and i'm not fully immersed but i still have access to the virtual reality world I think if the only people that may be playing with this idea is Google and Facebook, and I don't think they're being very public about it. Have you ever heard of the term Lord of the Ring view? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. One um, ring to rule them all. <laughs> well, well, Lord of the Ring view, for anybody who's outside of the direct tech field, it's basically a concept where a user would wear contact lenses yeah. inside of their eyeballs either over or by implants and they would talk to a server probably over your cell phone and it would basically use your vision to scan everything around you and then replace it with its own textures and basically look make the entire world around you look like you're in lord of the rings yeah yeah so i don't know i i I assume you're following it closer than i am because you're a little bit closer there in the states but Facebook glass looks like it's going to come out before Apple's glasses come out for augmented reality. But if the software they have behind that is nothing more than what they're using behind the Oculus software, I think it's going to fall short. But I'm cautiously optimistic that this is going to move forward. I mean, I'd like to get us away from... I have some heartburn about the whole virtual reality cardboard thing that you put your phone in and that's your virtual reality platform. I I mean, the Google Cardboard is just, it's entry level. It's an introduction for anybody who can't afford an Oculus that wants to experience yeah. it for the first time. I mean, the first time I tried VR, it was very much like a cardboard S device, yeah. you know, and, and a smartphone. I, I recently had a, a kid online 
who was like, I've never tried VR. He has like a tech channel. Yeah. And all these professional YouTubers, of course, tagged me in, in the comment. And I was like, <laughs> all right, buddy. Like, I can't send you an Oculus or a Vive, but I'll send me your address. I'll send you a package. I'll make sure that there's a Google Cardboard in it. And he actually, he got it this morning and he was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, even if like a $2 cardboard can impact this kid's life yeah. in such a positive way or, or inspire him to like go after this industry the way it inspired me to. Yeah. I mean, I've done my job. It cost me a total of what, six bucks to send him a full yeah. package. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and you're right. The challenge that I have, the thing I struggle with a little bit is, is the cardboard is kind of a taster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know some people that use the cardboard on a regular basis. And so uh, during lockdown, we bought a switch and my wife's and my wife started playing uh, Mario Odyssey for her birthday. Uh, Our daughter got her uh, Mario Odyssey and she's like, Oh, I'd love to do it in VR. And I go, no, you won't. She goes, no, no, no. I really want to do it in VR. I go, no, sweetheart, you don't want to use the switch VR because the switch VR you put it in and you have to control it up here on your face because it's what? a it's a cardboard thing that you that you attach the switch to your face and the the controllers for it have to stay attached to the switch otherwise if you disconnect them they don't control the switch anymore and i was like that's just that's a terrible user experience so i i didn't know about that yeah well so i didn't either i didn't either and I, so i started researching getting her the cardboard attachment for the thing so she could do a mario odyssey and and by the way we've ordered the mario 360 world for switch so that she and i can introduce our kids to the old world mario 64 and stuff but but yeah it was, i mean if you're as a taster it's brilliant but if you try and do long-term vr with that cardboard headset it's it just after a while the people that i know that have used it they just they get completely turned off by it so it's kind of because it doesn't go far enough and it doesn't do enough then they start thinking that all vr is like that and then i show them a simple vr like the ps4 vr or the vive or steam headset that i have and they're blown away again they're like no 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 this this is what we were expecting to get out of the cardboard headset. And I'm like, no, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> I, th- I think it's really interesting. Like I, I, I have this conversation actually quite often where people are like, Hey, how do we get mass adoption inside of virtual reality? And I went, YouTube has what? 2.3 billion yeah. users a month. Yeah. And 360 videos are, accessible yeah. 100% on YouTube. That means you have 2.3 billion people who have access to VR. Oh yeah. And and then they're like, "Well, that's not that's not enough." I'm like, "Well, it's it's an introductory." That's right. It's, it's the taster. And actually remind me later, um actually I rebuilt the first level of Super Mario as a 360 animated film. Oh, you're going to have to you got a link to it that we can I, share? I'll, yes. It's it's on our it's on my company's YouTube channel. Oh, so yes, absolutely. I'm, my and my wife would would get a really big kick out of that, but that that is absolutely brilliant. That I I, I think it's sitting with over nine million views now. Yeah, that's that's just yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a, that's that old world mix of 
you know, what I grew up with and, and the direction that we can go. Cause I, I have been, look, I, I booted up an Atari 2600 the other day and loaded a cartridge in it that I was really excited about when I was a kid. And I went, Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> this is just, this is just horrible. I can't believe we ever played this game. So how do we extend? So we've been talking a bunch about visuals. I know Facebook is doing a massive amount of work with audio and audio enhancement to come out with their Facebook augmented reality. But how do you see audio? I mean, when we start talking about implants and, and, you know, contact lenses probably isn't the implant level, but eventually when we get to direct, you know, Elon Musk's direct brain implant, when we get to direct neural stimulation to be able to do stuff, obviously audio and haptic feedback and then, you know, Oh, you can you can do all the senses. Yeah, you can that, also do taste. That's what I was going to say. Wait, wait, wait. The taste one, I think, is really interesting because you can get a little chip yeah. planted in your tongue. Yeah, and then everything can taste like ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah. I, that. I mean, because that's the holy grail, right? Because if we can get taste and smell, most memories are tied to smell, and you know, based on the, our current analysis, brainwave analysis, are, you know, visually we only experience maybe 20% of the visual world and the smells pull up memories that rebuild the whole rest of the visual world for us to see. Once you have access to those additional senses, then you're, then we're talking about true immersive extended reality. Then I feel like it's a black mirror episode well, where, yeah. you're just like, where, where you're like reliving all your memories because <laughs> the current world is so terrible. Oh yes. Thanks 2020. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I want to, I want to go back to like prom night or I want to like go back to, you know, throwing the ball with my dad when I was 10. But, but I want to edit it so that it was better than what it was when. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he has both his legs. Oh, uh, so I mean, so so we're talking a lot about the technology, and 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 I. By the way, I agree with you. I think from a, a media adoption perspective, we have the content out there. We just need to figure out how to get it onto the platform, and then we need the edge computing and the network latency to drop to a level where the end devices, because anybody that's worn one of those big headsets for longer than an hour will tell you that your neck and back start hurting. I mean, just holding your head up with that headset after about an hour becomes painful. I, I don't think that's everybody. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely, well, you know, I also work with a lot of people who wear a VR headset sure. for like five, six hours at a time. Oh, wow. Or people or people who use it to, as like, so when it, when we had glitched, yeah. uh, I had a co-host named Topher Walsh that I mentioned earlier. He actually lost 60 pounds playing uh, virtual reality games. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I was I was watching this clip of us on uh, the Twitch stage live a couple of years ago, and him and I were both fat, <laughs> like we were big guys, and and now it's because computing became in, instead of like sitting down at a computer every day, yeah, it became getting up, motion, around, yeah. interacting with live state. It's it's a completely different experience now in, in the way that we kind of live our lives so though the lines on your face are kind of inconvenient yeah well the, the sweat yeah. marks yeah, yeah so maybe it is just a as the usage amount grows the it'll be like anything else right we we got used to wearing shoes 
and now we're used to wearing shoes as an example uh, you know uh, do, you, do you remember the first month you probably got a smartphone oh how yeah how much your neck probably pro- like how much your neck hurts oh yeah well and, 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 then, it, and then after then after a while it just kind of became second nature that's right that's right well and yeah. and so when i when i forget to have my headset my my headset that i have here aftershocks when i forget those and i have to sit there holding the phone on my ear if i'm on a long conference call after about 20 minutes i'm like ah because ah, i'm it my arm i have to start switching arms to hold it up to my face my phone up to my face so you're absolutely right i it may just be a as we use it more the adoption of the hardware will become easier and easier for us to do and I know that, you know, so I know businesses are starting to take advantage of this, especially in the manufacturing field. So sending a repair worker out with an augmented reality or a virtual reality that he can see a, a blown up view of what it is he's working on, that's a game changer for him. He doesn't have to carry around a set of manuals. He can actually look at a thing and have it blown up and figure out exactly where the problem is. But on the short of setting retail aside for a second, short of you know, HR training videos and training in any way for stuff. I'm still looking for that business adoption for virtual reality. Do you see that coming? I mean, is that something that you're hearing about on the business side, setting retail aside? Because as you know, with the pandemic, virtual reality and the retail are now becoming so tightly coupled. So one of the really good test cases that I that come to mind when you ask me that question is, yeah, training is, is the perfect medium for this, but it's also great for, say, Rosetta Stone might want to have a, a VR experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and let me tell you why. Um, learning a new language is difficult, no matter who you are, unless you're like a savant or something. Yeah. But... The way that we interact with VR and we retain information created in virtual reality is a little bit different than how we perceive it in the real world. Sure. So, so you know how the brain works, right? You have the hippocampus. It takes your short-term memory, converts it into long-term memory, right? Yep, yep. Well, you also have a group of cells in there called GPS cells. Okay. Uh, and it's, this was discovered, I, I think, like 2014, maybe? Yep. Anyway what those actually do is they fire off when you have to make a mental note of how to get back to somewhere. It's your evolutionary response to be able to find your way back to the tribe, back to your cave, back to your hut. Yep. So when you leave the house, they fire off. When you get to the block, they fire off. When you get to work, they fire off. Well, what they found out is GPS cells have a different approach to when you're in virtual reality. So they fire off more frequently and more randomly when it's trying to discern uh, real space versus virtual space. Yeah. And so there's an estimated higher memory retention of about 30%. Oh, wow. In VR, right? Yeah. So I've been doing some research for a couple companies here in New Zealand, and one of them you may not have heard of called 8360 have created a... Terry's going to kill me for calling it this. It's almost a man-sized hamster ball that has a chair in it and a virtual reality rig. And it was originally designed to do helicopter VR simulations because mm-hmm. it'll go 360 degrees upside down. So you're okay. belted into this chair. 
and so I've, I've been doing a lot of research on the training and especially the military training because how do you, how do you train say a Humvee driver of what the feeling is when his vehicle rolls over without rolling a you know a hundred thousand dollar vehicle over? If you put him in a VR, he can have that simulation of how it feels. But some of the research is starting to come back showing that they actually retain more in the VR training than they do training in reality, and that totally aligns to what you're saying now is, is that that virtual reality experience gives them a more long-term memory of what what happened in the environment and that's i mean that's massive can you imagine how much money you'll probably save say if you were a computer manufacturer oh yeah and you need people to work on different computers or custom pieces oh yeah yeah, you, you I mean, can. You, yeah, yeah, you you can mess up pieces all you want. You can burn out boards and and RAM and whatever else, and it's not going to cost you anything because it's all virtual. Oh yeah, and your guys are going to be trained thirty percent more efficiently. Yeah. Well, and going outside the technology field, people that train in dangerous professions like firefighting and stuff are going to be. They're not going to be hurt because they're not going to actually be put in dangerous situations. And they can still get the learnings that they need to be able to do it. So yeah, I so I've I've really been leaning on this training one as being the killer app. But the more I talk to you, I think it's even bigger than that. I think that that really is the business driving adoption for virtual reality, and to a lesser extent, the augmented reality, extended reality. I'm I'm waiting for the point where we start mixing it with neurobiofeedback. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so in that's going to cure things like uh, depression. Oh yeah. Uh, it's going to help with ADD, PTSD. I know there are a lot of people who are using it right now as a deterrent for PTSD. Yeah. Just so they can normalize being in those situations, and then they won't have so such adverse effects of being in those sort of environments. Yeah. The U- U.S. military has a couple papers that they have that they've been doing work with PTSD and VR to deal with it. And, uh, and I believe the New Zealand military is also looking at that. So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think cause th- that's a way better solution than someone long-term on psychotropic drugs. I mean, uh, yeah. psychopharmacology and, and that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast, but we're going from the visual and auditory and taste to just like messing with your brain. That, that, yeah. That's changing chemical levels, but, but yeah. So, you know, a virtual reality, if you can get benefit out of it as a treatment facility, it's, it's great. So, wow, we've, we've covered a massive amount of, of topics and I know, I, I know your time is limited today. I really, Eugene, I really appreciate you getting on the podcast with me. I do, pleasure. I, I, I do have, I have a bonus question that I ask in each podcast. Okay. You, you did say you were one of the, the people that has actually listened to him. So you may actually know what's coming, but during Obama's presidency, he created this website where individual citizens could submit ideas to the government. And if enough people voted for it, the government would investigate whether or not they could do it. Yeah. The hundred thousand votes. Yes. Someone submitted that the U.S. government should build the Death Star, and it it received enough votes that the Obama administration went off and just did. I think they did it. I think it was a whiteboard exercise, but I think they looked into what the cost would be and they determined that it would be greater than the gross national product of every country on the planet put together. And so there was no way that they could do it. But my bonus question to you is: <laughs> Would you say you would want to build the Death Star if that was a possibility? 
I would say no, <laughs> but I think we should follow Japan's lead and build ourselves a Gundam. <laughs> that would be a... <laughs> you know what? I I may have like, to... Have, have you seen the videos of yes. like, their Gundam walking? Yes, yes. I, I, I may actually have to change my bonus question for future podcasts. Because a giant <laughs> fighting robot... Now, if they could only get it... If they could only get it to transform into a, a fighter pilot or a fighter plane and then transform oh, back. <laughs> that would. Did, did, did you ever see like the Robot Wars TV show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was it was Japan and the U.S. We each had a, a giant fighting robot and it was the lamest <laughs> I've ever seen. It, it was terrible. It was it was. Yeah. So I have a 13-year-old, and the other day, she's starting to get into anime. And the, so the other day, I dusted off my Robotech videos. I had to find a VCR, but I dusted off my Robotech videos. Because I wanted to show her where anime came from, right? So in the U.S., anime, the starting for anime was, you know, Robotech. And, and I showed it to her, and about halfway through it, she looked over me, and she goes, Dad, this is terrible. And I went, yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> to turn it off. It's just nostalgia. That's all it is. That's right. It's just uh, nostalgia. Thir- Thirteen. You might want to introduce her to uh, Inuasha. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Sword Art Online is a personal favorite for me, just because you know VR genre. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Yeah. We. She's a massive Studio Ghibli fan, and we've just recently finished Hero Academy. Oh, My Hero Academia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We just recently finished. We got the episode 90 just got dubbed, and we just recently watched that. So, yeah, she's a she's a big fan. It's a great series. Oh, no, no, it's it's brilliant. It's yeah. it, and and it's fun to watch and yeah. And it's and it's appropriate for a 13-year-old, which is great for me. So. <laughs> Which is unlike most anime. (laughs) Some anime, just so... um, So, Eugene, where can people find you online and Uh, follow you? You can find me at Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash cap on design. You can find my speaker website, hightechinfluencer.com. Or you can find my studio, or my my XR content creation animation studio, studiocapin.com or Studio Cap'n on YouTube. Perfect. I'll, and I'll include links to those in the show notes. Every You know, in the U.S., you're locked down pretty tight right now, but are you planning on doing any of the virtual conferences coming up, speaker-wise? Not, not speaker-wise. Uh, I'm looking to attend Adobe Max. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of VR conferences that I'm going to go, you know, take a look at and, and watch them and try, try to be part of the conver- ongoing conversation in the industry. Yeah. But... Nope, wasn't asked. Yeah, that's I, I. So I was originally supposed to come up to San Francisco for the Red Hat conference to talk about OpenShift, and of course. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was on several panels for OpenShift, and that obviously didn't occur. So, yeah, we live in weird, wonderful times. I keep telling I... myself. I was supposed to be producing this like video series that was supposed to take me all over the world this year. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be in Russia and Africa and Peru. I just, <laughs> China. Yeah. Well, so if you ever get the chance to come down to New Zealand, you have a place and someone to come visit. 
and I'm more than willing to show you around. And I would love that. You know, and I, I'd love to have you back on the podcast in the future. And thank you again for coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Sean. Well, that was a great podcast. If you know, there are a handful of podcasts in my series that that really have some real content in them. This is one of them. I'm going to make sure that I include in the podcast notes all of the things we talked about, and there are tons of them. In fact, I think I'm going to have more more links in the meeting notes in this podcast than I've ever had before. And thank you again to Eugene. I'm now following him on several social media platforms, and if you're interested in virtual reality and, and the content generation for virtual reality, I would suggest you follow him as well. As always... If you think of somebody that you think uh, you'd like to hear on my podcast or that I should talk to, or you just want to provide feedback, reach out to me. I am always open to it. And the feedback I, I get, whether it's positive or negative, I love to get it because even the negative feedback helps me learn and grow and get better at it, what I'm doing. As always, take care, keep your head down, and have a good day.